Hey, what's going on, everybody? And welcome to Listen Money Matters. Be mindful of what you truly value and fuck everything else. <laughs> my name is Thomas and I'm here as always. My good friend, Andrew. Andrew, how are you? And what are you drinking today, man? Dude, I am good and I'm just doubling up. I have a ghost, goose. It's uh, my sour, sour Goat? beer. G-O-S-E? G-O-S-E, yeah. I feel like I drank. What is it? What does it taste like? Is it like a lime or? It's like a. Show me the can. It's a sour, salty, delicious. Oh, I know why I am. You drank it in another episode mm. and we were trying to figure out how to pronounce it. Still and then don't we know. didn't have Martin around, so I still have no idea. He's he's uh, talking to me on Slack right now, but he's not around to pronounce weird words for us. Oh, well, I'm drinking um, chai. Not like chai tea. The uh, Whole Foods actually sells like this really awesome chai concentrate. Mm. And you just do like half that, half milk. Microwave it for, oh, wow. I don't know, like a minute, 30 seconds. And it tastes pretty darn close to like a chai latte you get at a coffee shop. Chai is so addicting. It's like just the right amount of sweetness and spice. I, I like wind up chucking that stuff. Yeah, it's good. They have like three different varieties. They have a, they have like a vanilla one that I'm not super into. It's a little spicier. Mm. They have their normal masala one, but then they have a spicy ginger one. Ooh. And that's the one I always get. <laughs> like the spicier the chai, the better. So, which is pretty sweet because here in Colorado, there's a company called Bhakti and they sell like the spiciest chai I've ever had. Mm. And a lot of uh, coffee shops in the, in the area will carry it. So oh my God, sweet. dude, bring some, please. I can't bring liquids on the plane. Oh, oh, it's not like tea bag. It's a... Uh... It's, it's a concentrate. Yeah, it's uh, literally like a chai concentrate. But you know what? Maybe you could buy it. They might sell it online. Uh, yes, they do. If you wanted to, it's it's literally on Amazon. You could buy Bhakti Chai. So, oh, wait, they actually have bagged as well. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, buy some. It's pretty awesome, actually. Anyway, Allison's back on the show. I think I it's been a while. Yeah, I think it's been two years, which is weird. Seems like has it, has it really bigger. been two years? I think so, because I have moved twice since we talked. <laughs> oh, my God. Really? Are you yeah. still in Florida? Uh, no, we live outside D.C., which we did okay. live there last time, too. But we lived in a giant house last time. And mm. um, I don't know if you play around on Zillow, but Zillow has like uh, for sale and for rent. And then they have like this make you move mm-hmm. thing. And I just arbitrarily put my house on make me move and put this high number on it. And then one day this lady knocked on my door and said, Uh I'd like to buy your house. And she offered the price and I said, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I sold her the house with only, um, she had a real estate broker. I didn't have one because it was like, I just randomly put it on Zillow. So I sold our big giant house and then we took the profits from that to buy two rental properties and we just moved into an apartment. Oh my God. That's awesome. That is awesome. (laughs) Yeah. It was kind of arbitrary because we just put it up there. So explain this made me move thing a little more. Like, is this basically just saying like I would be cool with selling my house, but it's not like officially on the market with a realtor and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. We we didn't really, we talked about moving maybe downsizing. um, But I don't know. It was a good location and we liked our house. I mean, it was a great house, but it mm-hmm. was a giant, like, it's just me and my husband and my son. And it was like a four bedroom, five bathroom McMansion thing, which was like uh, absurd <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> for what we needed. 
And so I just put it on there. I had no intention of actually paying a real estate broker in the 6% commission for such an expensive house. So we just, I just put it up there and like, it just sat there for a few months. And then mm -hmm. randomly this person knocked on my door. It was very weird, but had it sold within a month and rolled that wow. over to some rental properties. And now wow. we live in a nice apartment with has a pool and same <laughs> school and everything. <laughs> That's awesome. How does the uh, yeah. closing costs work if you don't work with a realtor? Um, instead of a 6% commission, which usually is like 3% for one side, 3% for the other, I um, just paid 3% to the lady who knocked on the door because um, she was the, the couple's estate, uh, real estate broker. So we just paid a 3% okay. commission. So saved me a lot of money, which helped with you know the purchase price as well because I already had it listed for a good price and I paid half the commission what I was thinking I would have to pay eventually. Wow. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> And then, and then you got two rental properties, which put you up to how many? We're currently at nine. Nine. Wow, yeah. man! I was because yeah, yeah we, were, we were talking about before you came to the show. I was like, I wonder how many rental properties Allison has now. Like maybe I don't know, fifty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Wait, we was slowed it down a little bit. Um, well, originally it was like ten, and then we thought, oh, this is going really quick. Maybe twenty. Um, so currently we're at nine. Everything okay. kind of hinges on my husband. He's Air Force. He's 13 years in, and when he gets to 20, he has a pension and all that. And okay. right now, he's actually gone until June. And so it works out well that we're in like this apartment because it's just me and my son now until June. So we're June? kind of like waiting. Yeah, June. Like a whole year from now, basically? <laughs> yeah, he left in July. End of July to the beginning of June, so 10 months. Did they um, send him to space? <laughs> <laughs> no um but during this 10 month i think we're just going to hang tight and just save money or pay down mortgages because we're not sure when he's back whether we'll stay in the dc area and he'll maybe work in the pentagon or something or maybe we'll get you know moved somewhere else so right now we're just kind of holding tight so i don't think we're going to add any this year okay. uh, so it's nice it caused me to reflect upon what our goals are and you know what we've learned and you know what we want to do in the long term well, yes. how have your goals changed? Because I think when we first, like first, first spoke, you were, you know, all in, you know, you said like to 20 or, or whatever the number was uh, where you could both be done. Um, yeah. And, and you've slowed down. Uh, why? So I, it sounds like you could have kept up the pace if you wanted to. Yeah, I think we definitely could keep up the pace because we have, you know, a lot extra each month because we're both very minimalist. But I think part of selling our house, we've kind of embraced the minimalist lifestyle that's kind of popular right now. And we've, you know, even my son, who's only eight years old, like when we were looking for apartments, we were looking at little apartments and he's like, be like an Indian mom, only take what you need. I'm like, okay, sage wise one. Um, so we're all just like, I think we've looked it out and we've mapped it out. And even if we didn't buy another property, if we had the nine that we have now that are completely paid off, plus his pension that we, he'd have, we'd be at right around 10,000 a month. And that's accounting for, you know, property taxes and, and all that. And so we're thinking that's good. We've kind of readjusted our goals that, you know, we don't need that much. We could focus on paying off these properties and having this insane income when we're retired. And my husband loves to to be on boats and be on the water and we both come from Florida. And so we've, we've kind of thought about getting a sailboat and sailing around the world, uh, when he retires. So we're trying to just see how it all fits in, how we can have passive income every month and go travel around. Oh my God. So, so I, I feel like you dropped two 
that bombs in there. One, 10,000 <laughs> a month. Like, holy shit, that's awesome. That's like super awesome. Yeah. And two, uh, you said have them all paid off, and it sounds like a lot either are yeah. or very close to. So what's the story there and why? Yeah, well, we're currently, like I said, at nine properties and six mortgages. So three are paid off, mm-hmm. six mortgages. Um, I'm currently paying down one right now, and it'll be paid off by Christmas time. So by Christmas, we'll have five mortgages. And like I said, he's 13 years in the Air Force, so he has another seven to go. Like, even if we just minimally put effort to it, I think we could pay off the remaining five by the time he's hit his 20 years. Um but we're not completely sold on it. We might still buy a house or two down the road. Um, but right now we have the extra income each year. I mean, each month to to pay them all off by the time he's hit 20 years. So why did you go that direction instead of like insane accumulation? Um, I think it's just contentment. Like at one point we're like, well, we could keep building more. We could buy more and we'd have more income coming in. But we'd also have a lot more debt. Mm. Um and we kind of wanted to have a balance between how much debt we had and, and what we were going to be doing for our goals of you know how we want to live our life in 10 years. So I'm still not opposed to buying one or two more over the next you know decade. But I know like just looking at the math that we don't have to. Gotcha. Now you have you've, you said you've added two since we talked. Um, I think we were at, I think I was at four or five last time and now I'm at nine. So you had four. Okay. Yeah, I bought it. I bought like two a year, the whole in between each time. Yeah, so now I have Our, um, four in Florida, three in Tennessee, one in Texas, and one in Alabama. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was about to ask, like, were the were all the new ones still in Florida? Because I know you had mentioned that you were, yeah, new Florida. You knew the college towns down there, but it looks like you've actually branched out a bit. Yeah, Tennessee, my first Texas, three were in Florida, and okay. then I got one more in Florida. Three in Tennessee, all through Memphis Invest, which you've talked to on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. Um, you the one that introduced us to them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Right. One in Texas and one in Alabama. Um, those are different property management companies. So I was just kind of branching out with them. Mm-hmm. And then I also did one more thing because I, I like the low cost rentals, like the cheaper forty, fifty thousand $50,000 houses, but I didn't want to own one. Sorry, own one directly. I was a little scared of having kind of a really low property like that. Mm-hmm. And so I found a um, croucher company. It's called Hold Folio. Um, H-O-L-D-F-O-L-I-O. And they're like a crowdsourcing company. And what they do is they form little LLCs of 10 houses. And then they have people invest in that in that particular LLC. Mm-hmm. And they do properties in Indianapolis and Dayton, um, Dayton, Ohio, and Indianapolis and Indiana. And I bought into two of them as kind of a test to see um, their kind of long-term plan is they buy houses and they rent them out for about five years and then they sell them at the end. And every quarter you get distributions of, of the share of the rent profits and everything. And at the end, all the owners of the LLC would share a, uh, their percent of the profit. So that's kind of a test to okay. see how that would go. Cause they do both single family homes and multifamily homes and some apartments. So I thought it'd be a nice way to kind of get into that as well. Yeah. But I've only been in there about a year, so I don't have long-term like how that does, but it's been so doing good so far, like 10 like and 13%. Oh, wow. is this basically like a mini REIT kind of sort of, it's very highly focused because you're just in this, you know, either the Indianapolis market or the Dayton, Ohio market. And it's this, these two young guys, they would actually be good to interview too. Cause they, are like super energetic and like very 
um, excited about what they do. It's these two guys that have formed this company and they've been doing it for a few years, but I've just been in it for the last year. And it's kind of an interesting model. They have good website. They seem real, you know, slick with their website and how they present all the data to you and, you know, the, the charts website. and everything. Yeah. So I, I've liked them and they've performed well. Um, so I thought that was a good way for me to get into kind of a lower tier market without as much risk because I'm sharing it with other investors. Yeah. So that's the only other thing I've done in the last year is I, I'm trying that. So you had been mostly Florida and I think you were trying your first one with uh, Memphis Invest outside of Florida. Mm -hmm. And since then, you've pretty much been completely outside of Florida and then yep. like three other locations. So what drove you to one, like look outside of Florida and two kind of uh, constantly just pick all these different markets, like diversify so much? I love Florida. I think I would stay there for all my things if I could, but I have USAA as my insurance company and I also have like umbrella insurance with them as well. And they were capping how many houses I can have in Florida to four that they would put under the umbrella. Mm -hmm. And so just because of that, I'm like, well, maybe I should branch out to other states if like this company is saying they don't want to spread their risk too far. I'm like, yeah. maybe I should spread my personal risk out. So that's how I got invested with Memphis Invest to begin with. I started looking outside of Florida and they just seemed like the most reputable that I was talking to at the moment. And so mm -hmm. I have three houses with them in, in Tennessee and they've all done great. Um, one house has turned over in that time and it was very quick turnover. They had, you know, new people in within a month and very, you know, very low maintenance. They, they've all been really profitable for me. So I'm happy with that. The Texas and Alabama one were last year and they've been doing good too, but they're all kind of new. So it's hard to tell the long term. And when you yeah. say profitable, uh, like to, to what extent and how does it maybe compare to Florida? Uh, the Florida one still is more profitable. I think just because I found the houses myself and I bought them and so they didn't have like a rehab or anything. I just bought a house and instantly started selling it. I mean, renting it, the Memphis invest, you know, you're paying more for the house up front cause you're buying a house that they're going to go in and rehab. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm still making money. I'm just going to pull up my gazillion spreadsheets I have here. Um, <laughs> love the gazillion spreadsheets. Oh man, I love spreadsheets. Um, so I still every month on my three properties, I'm making on, let's see, $218 a month profit on that one. Averaging that one is also about 200. So what, they're all making about the $200 a month. Um, my one house rents for 920. The other one rents for 900. And the other one is 1,095. So that's pretty solid profit. Um, yeah. They're all in the 80 to 100 K purchase price. And they're all, you know, pretty equivalent 1% rule to, to the rent. So 90 K purchase about $900 rent. Um, and like I said, I think they do a good job with the upfront rehab because I have very minimal repairs. Like on this one house all year long, I've had a $115 plumbing repair. This other one has had an HVAC repair of $250. And the last one hasn't had anything. So I think they're well-maintained. And I know those companies, the property managers check on the property twice a year. Mm. So I know that they'll, you know, catch things that, you know, might get missed otherwise if you're not routinely going out there and seeing the property. 
Yeah. How much do you sock away for bigger repairs? I, every week, I send $100 into a Betterment account, um, just into a generic called my real estate CapEx fund, Mm -hmm. which is something, Thomas, you always say CapEx. I do say CapEx. Is it CapEx? (laughs) Yeah, it's short for capital expenditures. Okay. CapEx. Yeah, when I look at that Sorry, word, I'm reminded, of like a, I'm reminded of like a guitar capo, so I just say capo. That's okay. All right, what now what, that what, I got what that are that your capital expenses? <laughs> uh, um, so I just do that routinely. I put $100 into a Betterment account that I have at like, I don't know, 50-50 bond stock allocation mix. Mm. And I just call it my capex. See, now you got me, Sam. A CapEx. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I have that saving. And then in my checking account where all of my rents get deposited and my mortgages go out of, I just make sure that that stays at two months worth of mortgages. So like right now, um, my six mortgages that I have to pay, it's $4,444.09 all combined. And so I try to keep that at around 8000 just so that I know mm-hmm. I have two months worth of mortgages even if I get zero rents in which, gotcha. you know, isn't going to happen, but it's, that's my like real buffer is in my checking account. And then the hundred dollars a week I sent to my, my betterment account is for like a really big expense or saving towards the next property. So that, that's kind of the, the thing or that. So when you had first come on and I think you had like so much to teach us on rental property investing, but like I don't think that we were ready to receive your teachings. So, yeah, now you're wiser. <laughs> so you sent us your spreadsheet. You told us some like wisdom of the future. And then like two years passed and we, we finally did it. You know, and I, I think we've talked a lot about like acquiring and, and stuff like that. But again, like you're, you're ahead of us. So I want to kind of ask you like what, are all of the downsides or what did, what did you learn? Like, what have you had to adjust for? What, what don't we see yet? Um, well, I've been thinking about that since you told me you wanted to speak. And I, it's funny cause I'm reading to my son who's only eight, but I'm reading him the richest man in Babylon, That's <laughs> which is awesome. kind of an odd choice. Cause there's a lot of like old English words in there and stuff, but he's, he's actually inquisitive and in asking questions about it. And it's so basic, like the book, like mm. save one tenth of all you make, pay yourself first, like all these really basic things. And my son's like, don't people know this? Isn't this obvious? And I'm <sighs> like, you would think, but no, honey, it's not. Most people don't understand this. So I was trying to think, you know, what kind of lessons I've learned. And, you know, I, I don't know if I've just been lucky or what, but of all my properties, I've had, you know, really nothing too major has happened. I had one roof that I had to repair just a few months ago. I, I replaced the whole roof just because it had reached its 30 year mark, but I've known that for the four years I've owned it. Mm-hmm. So I knew I was gonna have to pay for a new roof. It was only like $5,000 to put a new roof on. And now I don't have to worry about that again for 30 years. So yeah. I think if you're meticulous about like when you purchase a house, you get your property inspection and he'll say on there, like your HVAC probably has five more years. Your roof probably has 10 more years. You, you know, you have all these things so that you can look at it and say next year on these houses, this, this, and this might be due to be changed. And you plan for it ahead of time and you save. And then it's not this shocking emergency that things need to be fixed. Um, yeah. So just planning out and looking beyond the next few months, looking at the next few years so that you're not surprised by things. And then 
I think the other thing is just figure out like what is your goal with this whole thing. Like um, when you interviewed Clayton Morris on the podcast, mm-hmm. he talked about like finding your like dream number or something like that. Um, and that was good because it made me think. And that's kind of why we thought, you know, we're OK at nine because we just reverse engineered it. And we said, OK, we want this much each month. How many houses will it take to get us to that amount? And we did it. And we're like, you know, we're pretty much there right now. If they were all paid off, we're there. So I think like just figure out what your goal is. And at the beginning, it might be hard and the goal might just be accumulation. But once you get to my point where you're approaching nine, 10 houses, you can either keep going, which is, you know, totally fine. Or you can, you know, slow down and working on paying them off so that you don't have debt or, you know, figure it out that way. And also just know that you could be picky. Because at the beginning, like when I started with Memphis Invest, like the first house they sent me, I'm like, oh, I have to buy this because a hundred other investors are going to take it if I don't or something. Right, yeah. And then by the time I get to like number three, they'd send me, I'm like, no, I don't like this one particular thing. And mm. like, okay, how about this one? No, I don't like this. So I'd get a little pickier because I don't need it per se. I just, I wanted to find the right fit and the right price point and stuff like that. So just being yeah. picky with what you want. It's funny you say that because <laughs> when Memphis Invest when we, we'd started talking to them after we had initially spoken, I think that Laura and I just weren't ready to even commit to one rental property at the time. I also felt that if I didn't take that one deal because there were so many people waiting and they weren't clear, and I mean, after learning about them, it, it's clear that there's a lot of people waiting. I yeah. kind of got scared away from it. But I, I do want to also just say how your mindset shifted uh, that was like a, a huge thing for Laura and I where I was working with some of my matters was making money. We had rental properties and we were, you know, in this like insane accumulation phase and, and it, it was starting to move towards like just greed where we didn't need anywhere yeah. near the number, you know, and, and instead like opting for me to survive, you know, longer or something like it's just, there's only yeah. so much, right? Yeah. yeah, we've definitely changed a lot because I don't know, we just everyone evolves as a person. And as we grow older and we, you know, listen to more things and we read more books and we, you know, figure out what really makes you content in life. And I don't know, having one or two more houses might not do it. But, you know, retiring early, spending time with my family, traveling, those are good. <laughs> what are some of the books that you guys have been reading that you found useful? Um, I've just been listening to a lot of stuff like by the minimalists and um just uh, i listen to your podcast obviously all the time and radical personal finance talks a lot about um you know like what the bigger purpose of you are you know not just making money but how can you share that with others how can you teach others and i think i've done that a lot at work too like a lot of people at my job come to me for financial advice and real estate advice now because they know I've written articles for LMM or have spoken on the podcast. I've had one of my good friends at work, her husband, saw me and was like, oh my God, I heard you on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Internet and he's all excited. He they, they had a rental property that they originally moved into outside of D.C. and it was underwater for a long time and it finally became like profitable and they sold it and are buying a, a real real estate property in another state that's going to make them money versus just losing money every month. So yeah. I think that's the other thing too, is just feeling more confident in what I know and being able to teach others is, you know, really good too. Yeah. You mentioned that with that first real estate property, you felt like you were compelled to take it. Um, now that you have nine, is that first property like, do you, 
regret buying it? Do you wish you didn't have it? Are there things about it that are annoying to you? Or do you feel like you kind of got lucky even though you grabbed onto it? No, that one still does really well. And okay. I don't know. I just had that, like Andrew said, I felt like urgency, like, oh my gosh, if I don't take this, someone else is going to take it. But mm -hmm. then like now I don't care because I'm like, yeah, that's okay. Someone else is going to take it. There's going to be like a whole bunch more. If I, if I talk to Memphis events and I say, I want to buy a property, they'll you know, in a day or two, they'll send me one. And if I say no, they'll send me another one the next day. Like they have tons they have investors, okay. they have properties. So I no longer feel that pressure that sometimes you feel when you're looking at houses, like I better snatch this up right now before someone else does. Now yeah. I don't worry about it. Cause there's going to be another good deal. So maybe it's that's always. something we really need to drill in when we're talking about real estate investing is, um, embrace the fear of loss and, mm -hmm. you know, just, just realize it's going to be there. Uh, but there will be another property that comes along just like if you want to buy a car, like there's going to be another car that comes along if that one just isn't at the price point, you know, if they're just trying to, to, uh, to hustle your, you know, take too much of your money. Yeah. And a lot of people have that fear, their fear of loss aversion, you know, like, Oh, I don't want to lose this thing. There's going to be another thing. Yeah. <laughs> there's always yeah. going to be another thing. We no. had that with our apartment. Like we, uh, we found this apartment building and, we were just like, we felt like we had to scramble to sign the lease because we were like, man, there's, there's no other apartments in Denver this good. <laughs> there can't be a, a single one ever. And I mean, I'm pretty happy that we got it, but I, you know, I drive around the city and I look on apartments.com just out of curiosity sometimes. And I'm like, Oh, okay. There's actually a lot. You know, I think place. your happiness is skewed <laughs> towards what you did decide on and what you have. See, yes. even if the one that you got wasn't the best or whatever, the fact that you got it and live in it, you now like it more. So it's yeah, almost like, like a, this weird. There's a word for that. I can't remember what it is, but it's like people ascribe more value to the choice that they took mm. and to things that they currently have. And they've done like, um, you know, psychological experiments where they're like, uh, you know, how much would, how much would you be willing to take, you know, to part with this thing you have? And then like the other group is like, what would you pay for this? And there's always a huge divide where it's like people want a lot more to get rid of something. You know, which I think says a lot about Allison and, and how practical she is because the, the putting of like a number and, and I, I'm aware of like this whole Zillow make me move number and, and you know, this whole concept like of just putting a ridiculous number up there like is really appealing but then when someone actually comes and and like almost like makes you commit to that to commit like the actual act of then committing to that uh i think was really interesting because i think a lot of people uh might not take it because of non-logical reasons like i live here i like it because the the floor is this color or i don't know <laughs> yeah it was weird i mean it was like march middle of the school year and they wanted to move in and i'm like okay i guess we'll find somewhere to live and <laughs> just make it work because we weren't i mean we knew my husband's in the air force we knew we'd move eventually so we didn't have yeah. the mindset like this is our forever home we knew it was our temporary home so i think that, that definitely helped and we didn't know it'd be, you know, we'd only live there two years versus five, but it worked out and, you know, it was worth it for us because we parlayed that money into, you know, something that actually made us money and we're still in a good situation. We're still in good schools and all that. So uh, mm -hmm. it felt like a win-win. When you, when you hear about rental properties, I think before you get into it, there's just like this concept of you were like driving down the street and you found this home 
and it needs a lot of love or some love and, and but you know how to do it and so you kind of get you get this property you find it yourself you get it you fix it up rent it you know kind of a to z and and i feel like to a degree the properties that you started with were that and i remember yeah. you sending like pictures of before and after with the bathroom and how much it cost and how you kind of figured <laughs> if it was worth it, which was both fascinating and scary as someone not involved. And I find it interesting how like you were kind of doing that in the beginning and have migrated more towards something like Memphis Invest or something even more abstracted like Hold Folio, where you're not like, I guess, in the shit. And so uh, I'm curious why. Uh, is, is the return kind of the same on both sides and it was a stress thing? Like, wh why did you move that way? I think that's the way I did it in Florida because I didn't know any better. <laughs> I mean, it was 13 years ago that I got the first house and like we just moved in and then it became a rental after we moved out. And so I didn't know that you could buy a house that some other company would fix. Like all those houses in Florida we bought, and it took a month or two to, you know, get it rent ready to fix the kitchens, to That's upgrade bathrooms. And then it was finally be rent ready. So those houses in the beginning, they'd have, you know, a few months of vacancy while we're getting it ready to go. The other houses, you know, yeah. if you got a house through Roofstock or Memphis Vest or any of the other places, like they're ready day one, which is awesome for investors because it's more an investment that way. And yeah. you're decreasing your risk because like, the house is already rehabbed. There's no like surprise thing that should pop up when you buy a house and then you start rehabbing. There's always going to be surprises. So I think we just wanted to decrease the stress and the amount of work that we have to do and turn it more into an actual investment than, you know, hands on kind of job. So in like an, in a random month, would you say that like the return of the ones you did yourself are better or is it on par? And then if you were to account for kind of like that outlay um, for fixing and maybe some vacancy, like, is it the same? Like, is it really like a, a no brainer thing to say, go with Memphis invest Th then like, well, I think you're, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. That was, that was it. Yeah. I mean, I think your return is going to be a little bit lower with the Memphis invest. I'm looking at my returns now. So on like the house that I have owned the longest, I purchased it in 2004 and I bought it for $87,000 in 2004. My total income I've made on the house minus all expenses, everything I've ever, and I had a big remodel one year mm. has been $86,884. Wow. So I'm like, wow. yeah. you know, $120 away from my purchase price 10 years ago. And it's been paid off for a decade. You know, so it's really that, I mean, that return is 26% a year average return per year. That's wow. amazing. And my other Florida was 32. My other Florida is 22. So 32%, it, 32, that house is awesome. I've had the same renter the entire time. I've rented it for six years. <laughs> That's awesome. I've had That's the incredible. same renter every single year. I just raised their rent like last year, 25 bucks. Just because I'm like, come on, guys, you've been there forever. But it's just a little <laughs> cute little house. And, you know, it just makes money. It's been paid off for a really long time now. I, I think I paid it off like a year after I bought it. Because mm -hmm. I was like my first two houses I just bought and then paid off. And I wouldn't buy another one until I paid it off. And then I learned more about leverage and got more comfortable with debt. Because I was still like in no debt mode at that time. Yeah. Um, 
so I mean the returns are good. Then the Memphis Invest ones I'm rolling down to, they're eighteen percent so far than mm-hmm. the one I've had the longest, which is two years, two and a half yeah. years. And then like the one I just bought in Alabama just last year, it's only at six percent, but it I've only had it for like half a year. So it's kinda right. hard to judge. But I mean I think they're all definitely on par or better than the stock market. Um has been for me, but it varies. I'm sure there'll be some years where I might struggle to get tenants in or something and it might be harder, but for right now, everything has been working really well for me. What's the longest you've ever gone without a tenant in one property? Um, probably four months on one of my Florida houses. Okay. The person that moved out was like crazy hoarder, which she was like normal and then her and her boyfriend broke up and she turned crazy or something. And like when the property inspection guys went out there just to do a routine check, they were like, Whoa, you have way too much stuff in this house. Like you need to clean it out and clean up the shed. And she, I guess she didn't like that. So she just decided to, to leave and she left like a whole dumpster worth full of stuff. Cause we had to pay mm-hmm. someone to come like clean out the house and it would like filled an entire dumpster with her junk. And wow. it was like just random stuff. And so that took a while cause we had to clean it up and it was like at Christmas time in a college town. So, I mean like no one's changing mid semester. Yeah. Um, yep. so that one took a while to get, I think it was April before we got new people in there. And now we have a nice person who's like on the GI bill. And so their rent is, nice because they get a monthly stipend each month for housing. So that's nice and consistent. Okay. Is is that the hardest thing that you guys have had to go through, through properties? Yes. Mm -hmm. That is by far the worst one is because she broke her lease mid lease and she left it a mess. Every Mm -hmm. other one, they've always gone to the end of their lease, you know, just normal wear and tear on it. That was by far the the worst one just because cleaning up after her and, and I don't know what happened to her, but she, she just turned, a little cricket, so, um, started keeping everything. Like aside from all of the like shit that you had to deal with and just, you know, losing money on not getting rent and whatever for that year, did the property make money? Um, for that year. Yeah. But then, so, so that would have been like 2015 when she was moving out and, we started cleaning up and then 2016 because she was out and we knew we were going to have a gap in between tenants because of just the timing of a school zone. Mm. We decided to like completely remodel the kitchen Mm. and Mm. fix up the yard and stuff and put like a fence in. So we actually purposefully used that downtime to upgrade it because it was pretty dated. Um, so in 2016, that house lost money, but that's pretty much the only year we've had where we have lost money on a property with, without taking like depreciation to account. Cause sometimes depreciation will make it look negative, but it's not really right. Right. Depreciation. Like how it's does this that- a tax thing? Um, you get to depreciate the value of the property over 27 and a half years. So oh. like, on average, my depreciation is like three or $4,000 per property. So sometimes if I had a lot of repairs or something on, on a property and my income and like my total profit was only like 4k, but my depreciation is 4k. It looks like it's a net zero. So uh, to put in perspective last year, Laura and I, after all tax things, whatever, I think we lost, we were negative 500 on our rental properties, the taxes, but we made about 14 to 1500 a month in like cash, not counting mortgage payment, whatever. So it's just like 
weird math yeah. to how that works. Depreciation's nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially in the first couple of years because you have closing costs and other things that you can write off in those first years. So can you explain how that works to me? Because I'm not exactly sure how depreciation works on a, on a house you buy. So say you bought a house for $100,000. You can depreciate the value of the building. You can't depreciate the land. So say you bought it for 100000 but the, the county you live in says the land's worth 20000 So right. then you can depreciate the 80000 which is technically the building. And so right. you just divide the 80000 by 27 and a half years. And that amount, you, you subtract off of your income for that property. Oh. So why can you do that? Because it's a business, and so it's a depreciatable asset because they expect that you'll have to, you know, make improvements over the years and stuff. So it's just like if you bought a computer or something for your job and you could depreciate it over a year or two or whatever you buy for your business that you can Ah. depreciate. It's the same for real estate. You depreciate the building or the individual components in the building. Like if I like the roof that I put on this year on one of my properties, that will have its separate um, depreciation just for that. And it's over. So it's it's basically like. It's what you do instead of being able to say, oh, it's $80,000 off of my net income this year. Yeah, you have to spread it out over 27 okay. and a half years. Gotcha, gotcha. And it's, it's not just for improvements. It's for the, the cost of the house. Right. Um, does the fact that you use a mortgage like factor into that or not? No, even if you bought it for cash, you'd still get to depreciate it. Okay. And, and if you did a mortgage as well. Yes. Okay, cool. Interesting. So um, when you got your Florida properties, uh, from my understanding, you at least initially you were living closer. You knew the area well. You've since mm-hmm. like moved a lot. You bought in a bunch of different areas. Um, what like property managers? Uh, yes. I don't know. Like they're the best, <laughs> right? Like I, uh, have you ever had like, <laughs> have you ever had to like switch? How do you, do you have to like ride them? Like what's the trick? Well, I, I have to say my, all the property, all the houses I own outside of Florida. So my Tennessee, Texas, and Alabama one that have, you know, property managers in place from the turnkey company are all on the ball. Hmm. They usually call me or email me every month just to say, hello, everything's doing fine. Or, you know, this person is late on the rent, but they told me they'd pay next week and everything's going to be okay. Kind of thing. They, they check in all the time. My Florida people, they're like, I have to reach out to them if I want something. Um, and I did think when that hoarder moved out and I, and it took, you know, several months to rehab everything, get it back going. I did talk to other property managements in the city to see like what they could you know, charge and maybe have someone take over the property because I was getting frustrated. But I just expressed that to the company. I said, look, I need better communication. I need to know what's happening. I can't, can't be the one always reaching out to you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, their manager called me back and was apologetic and was more on the ball. And so I think sometimes you just have to let them know what you expect because like some people might be fine not hearing and some people might want daily updates or weekly updates or whatever. So you just have to let them know, like with my Tennessee houses with Memphis vest, like there's never anything going on. The lady calls me every month and I'm like, I'm good. You can just call me like every quarter or shoot me an email. Like I don't have to have a phone call with you (laughs) if everything's fine. Um, so I think that's part of it too, is like, they definitely vary and you need to find a match that matches you. So don't be afraid to shop for one. Even, I, I ended up staying with the company I was I was with originally because they you know they did get it together and got everything rehabbed a little bit quicker than I you know I thought 
they should have been. And so I stayed with them. But I think, you know, it's your property and it's your income. So you should yeah. chop around if you're not satisfied, you know, say, hey, I'm looking at other places like you need to improve or I'm going to go you know, to them. And when your lease is up, usually you have this year long property management agreement. So usually when the lease is up, your property management agreement's usually up too. So you can say when the lease is up, I'm going to switch and see if they can change or just let them know what you expect so that they know how to handle it better. Can you ask for like a trial period before you sign a property management agreement? Mm. I'm not sure. Cause I've never tried. I mean, probably, but okay. I mean, you could ask for a shorter a contract with them because usually you sign a separate oh, yeah. property managing contract. So you can say, Hey, I'm going to do three or six months and just see how this works out. And then I'll be willing to go longer. Okay. I'm just remembering uh, one of our good friends. Uh, he moved away from Jersey to Colorado where I live and he, you know, he couldn't sell his old place. So he got a property manager and he was telling me, he's like, uh, you know, I was asking him, well, what happens if uh, you can't find a tenant? And they're just like, yo, we'll find a tenant. Don't worry about it. We'll find, we'll find one. He's like, well, what happens if you don't? He's like, that, what do you, I don't know what you're talking about. We'll find one. So he moves. <laughs> it doesn't happen. Of course. Uh, they don't find him a tenant for like months on end. Oh, oh, paying all his money. So yeah, I just, I feel like there should be a way to, I don't know, evaluate a property manager or maybe reduce your risk of a commitment um, until you know that they're good. You know, yeah, I, th- I think that's a good thing about Riftstock too, is since they vet the property managers and they have yeah. like, you know, they have a lot more stake in the game. So if they're not, if they're failing you, Riftstock's going to reach out to them and maybe pull their, you know, contract with them. And so it's on, on their best interest to be a high caliber property manager. And that's really what you need. It's so key to have mm. good property management. Yeah. You know, it's so weird because uh, I, I had like tons of conversations with Riftstock and they only make money on the sale. But so often they're involved beyond that because I guess this like uh, mental leap that you need to take to buy a property that is like not near you that you're not going to physically see. They have to like, if anything, overcompensate in terms of trust just to keep that interest. Um, I mean, which is a good thing. Yeah. I mean, it's their name on the line, too, even though they're really out of the deal, you you're gonna still going to think you got the property through them and that they should be responsible. So it's in their best interest to to work with the property manager, work with you, make sure everyone's happy. I'll be honest. Yeah. I've been like hoping, like secretly hoping for a situation that I could like hold their feet to the fire on for like someone <laughs> in the audience or something, but uh, it hasn't happened yet. I'll let, I'll let you know. Um, <laughs> so, so one thing I'm curious about, Allison, uh, when you had your initial four properties when we talked you had you kind of knew the area, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but now you 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 know you kind of spread out to other places. So yeah. did you end up going to the states where you invested, or are you kind of to the point yeah. now where you're a little more trusting of just what you see online, what you can talk to? I I went to Memphis. I met okay. with uh, the team out there. I met with Ashley, who was my like sales rep, and I met with some other people in the office. And I drove around the neighborhoods and saw where two of my houses are basically like a street apart. Um, so I felt really comfortable with that. It's like East and like Southeast part of Memphis. So it's not in the city center, but it's around the beltway. And it's close enough that a lot of commuters live there and, and they just, you know, needed a nice little commuter house. Um, the schools are decent, not that great, but for Memphis, they seem to be fine. And so I did go there and I felt comfortable with that. I have not gone to Texas or Alabama. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, 
I don't know, I guess I've either evolved in my comfort level with purchasing houses and analyzing it just based on what I see uh, that I didn't have to go out there. Maybe one day I'll eventually I'll go out there, but right now I, I doubt it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to the point where you actually made the decision to, to invest though without yeah. going out there. So, yeah, I mean, I just look at all the pictures. I, I Google street view. There are some companies mm. that you can pay to go out there and like, just have someone manually go take pictures for you or take videos of the street or the area or something like that. So you can, yeah. I'm sure like Fiverr or one of those websites that you can pay someone to go do a task like that for you. Um, I don't know. It was I like just, specifically I, something for that. Wasn't there Andrew? Yeah, it was like We Looker or some something. Yeah. <laughs> and I, we did an episode on the sharing economy a long time ago, I think. Yeah, I remember a service like that, and I always had in the back of my mind, like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to do that. But, uh, like, these companies, like Memphis Investor or, or whatever, they, they have, like, no incentive to lie to you, if anything. Ah, we go yeah. look. That's what it is. We, we go yeah. look. We go look.com. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just. People yeah. that go take pictures of stuff for you. <laughs> I guess that's like, a pretty easy job. <laughs> yeah, I guess like you could be like say selling a car on eBay, and as a buyer, you're like, well, I, maybe it has like a hundred ratings, but this is a car, and I don't know who this guy is. But you yeah. have these established businesses; they're not going to yeah. blow their business up on you. Like you're not that important to their overall whatever. Yeah, yeah. They're only and I think these good. companies care. You know, they mm -hmm. want their reputation and their online presence to be positive. I mean, they definitely want to put out a good product. They're not going to purposely screw you over. They're just not. Yeah. I, I, I feel confident. And that's part of just picking who you invest with. Like, I'm not going to pick someone that I don't, I haven't spoken to other people that have invested with them and have, you know, positive things to say about them. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it looks like you can, it's like seventy bucks. They'll go like take a bunch of photos for you. So yeah, just getting a car, I would definitely have someone turn on the car and make sure it worked. Yeah, yeah. I remember like back when I was when I was looking for a new car. Um, at first, I really wanted like a GTI, uh, but those cars are not always easy to find at a good price. And there was one that was in like Nebraska, and I was like, okay, what do I do? Like fly out to Nebraska and then hope the car is good and drive it back and otherwise buy another ticket, fly back. Like, and people have to do that a lot. Like I decided just to get a different kind of car in town um, instead. But I probably, if I had known about a service like that, I'd be like, yeah, just just go take pictures of the car before I go out there and yeah, <laughs> spend all yeah. that money. Save your time and money. Exactly. So, Allison, like you, you've gone this long span of time with – you know, nothing terrible going wrong. And I don't think it's like, well, well terrible is right around the corner. I, I think it's like more of you've made like prudent decisions on not buying like shitholes or partnering with people who actually care, which, which makes a difference. That said, uh, what if like you were to go back to the, the Allison of old and, mm -hmm. you know, impart some wisdom, like don't do this or I don't know, like what, what would you do differently? Um, I think I actually would have started invested a lot sooner. Um, cause I had my first house and then there was a gap of like six years before I bought a second one. And mm -hmm. in that time, I mean, I, I was paying off like, you know, student loan debt and stuff like that. So, I mean, I was doing stuff with my money, but I honestly don't really know what I was doing. Cause I was before I had a child and we were, you know, buying jet skis and going, doing, you know, fun activities. And so I think i probably could have invested my money a little better than maybe bought a few more houses and 
who knows where I'd be right now. So I think mm-hmm. I would have started uh, a little bit quicker. Um, I think the houses I all have, I, I'm content with all of them. I don't think I'd sell any of them anytime soon. But I know, you know, eventually they might get to the point where they do become more of a problem because they're older houses. I mean, they were mostly all born, uh, born. They were made in like the 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, they are getting older. So there might be a point where I want to sell them and maybe, you know, roll that sale into other newer houses or just cash them out when it's like my son's time to go to college or something. Um, who knows what I'll do down the road? That's still kind of far off. But I yeah. don't think I would really change too much about what I did, except maybe, you know, going faster. Well, it seems like you've done a pretty darn good job. So I didn't expect <laughs> you would have too many regrets. And I actually, yeah. I have to say that this episode is, uh, has been like oddly comforting to me because I was okay. really <laughs> expecting something that I would have to <laughs> take action on to prevent in the future. And, um, I don't know. It seems kind of simple to me still. I mean, you buy a house, you put someone in it and you trust that they're a good human being and they're going to treat your property with respect and they're going to pay their bills and, and it should work out for everyone. You provide them a house and they provide you with some income and hopefully it works out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if we're still doing this show in 10 years, maybe we'll have to do, you know, a, a follow up. Yeah. I'll be on my <laughs> What happened when then, Allison hopefully. actually sold some house? <laughs> <laughs> We'll have to get you satellite internet, yeah, on your boat. Oh, absolutely. There we go, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or no, we'll we'll get our own boat. We'll do a podcast from the sea. Mm. There you go. Dude, I've always yeah. wanted to sail around the world, too. Like, I don't know. Just It seems like a really cool thing to, to cross an ocean in a sailboat. I know. We live, so. like, outside D.C. right now in Annapolis, Maryland, which is just on the flip side of D.C., is, like, the sailboat capital of the world, and they have all these just beautiful catamarans and, mm-hmm. like, all these guys around here sail, and now we watch, like, all these ridiculous YouTube sailing videos of these people's <laughs> lives that are sailing around the world. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this seems so wonderful. Oh, my God. There was a Netflix video of this girl who was, like, 16 or something and took a sailboat around the world by herself. Oh, man. Which wow. was, That's- yeah. Yeah. You know, I had a friend who was who was going to do that. I don't think she ever ended up doing it. But yeah, she was like, I'm gonna go sail around the world. She had like all these eBay listings of boats and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's a company. Yeah, that's it. That was actually that there's a the, there's a company called the Moorings, which is like the number one uh like if you're gonna go on a vacation and you're gonna rent a sailboat for a week, like the Moorings is like the most common one. And me and my husband were actually looking at it because they it's like owning a house. Like they have a deal where you buy a boat and they will put it into charter for five years and guarantee you a monthly income each month that oh. exceeds your monthly mortgage payment. And then at wow. the end of the five years, you either sell it or take over the boat as your own personal boat. And we actually thought about that. We're like, instead of buying a house, we just buy a boat. And then in five years, it's ours. And that whole five years, it's paying down the boat mortgage and you get to use it for a few weeks a year as your own personal vacation. I was like, Oh man, (laughs) you pay it down and you own it fully. I mean, you'd still have the option of renting that out to people, right? Yeah, you could. I mean, the moorings is like kind of high upper D place. So they only do like brand new boats or very, very new boats, but there's tons of second tier charter boat companies that, take a little bit older boats, like five to 10 year old boats. So even if we weren't ready to use it as our personal boat, like we could put it in a lower tier charter company and then they can continue renting it out for a few months. And most of these are in like the Caribbean or, or, um, you know, in around Europe and stuff. 
So yeah. that is something we might actually look into a boat mortgage. Well, they so know they, we'll see. they say like the hap- the two happiest days in a boat owner's life is the day you buy the boat, <laughs> the day you sell the boat. Um, yeah. And I imagine that second day is because it's just such a pain to own and you never get to use it. If I were to own a boat, I would love for it to just be like docked somewhere. Yeah, we would live on it. Right? Income that pays the dock fee mm. and you know, I'm only going to go use it one week a year. So I show up in town, go sailing, you know, get my fill. Yeah. And then the rest of the year, somebody else can use it. And rent yeah, it's like Airbnb. Yeah. yeah. There's some, there's Air a boat and boat. Yeah. There is a boat Airbnb out there. I forget what it's called, but you can definitely do that. You can rent out your boat on weekends or during the week as charter boats or as fishing boats or whatever. Um, boat yeah. Bound? So is that what it is? Boat bound. Yeah. Or there boat setter. Apparently. Yep. So who knows? We're we're all about passive income in this house. We want to <laughs> just keep the money flowing in. <laughs> I just looked up this boat bound thing, and there's a tech car article. It just has like the "I'm on a boat" picture. <laughs> 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 all right. Well, it looks like we got to do a uh, a boat Airbnb mm. profitability. Yeah, episode. get someone on there so I can learn. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can get somebody from uh, from boat bound slash boat setter. Yeah, how to make money on a sailboat. Usually you lose money. Yep. This does look like Airbnb for boats, like straight up. (laughs) And you can list your boat. Oh, man, this is exactly the thing I was just talking about. All right, Andrew. Well, there's an episode for us at some point. It's it's on the list. (laughs) Anyway, Allison, thank you so much for coming on the show yet again. No problem. It's always a pleasure. Um, And I know people get a lot out of these episodes. So glad to be here. for coming on the show. Yeah. Uh, Guys questions you can email us listenmoneymatters at gmail.com whether they're about real estate investing or if they're about you know how to pay off debt how to invest anywhere else whatever it is if it's related to money we want to hear your questions about it you can also if you are interested in real estate investing check out simplewealth.co which is our platform for evaluating real estate properties so if you've got a property that's you know you got your eye on and you're wondering how is this going to cash flow versus what I need to pay for it is this actually going to be a good investment that tool we've built is built especially for that kind of analysis it takes all the math out of it and just gives you those numbers and basically says yes this is good or no this is crap don't buy it and uh, if you go over simplewealth.co you can get a free trial of that service we also have a toolbox of all of our favorite apps and books and everything that helps you improve your personal financial life over at listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox check that out thanks for listening we'll see you guys next week later later man please tell your friends about this show (laughs) 